0: Yeah, um VBS, we're super excited about that. Be praying for that. If the Lord wants to be a part of that, it'd be awesome. Uh teen challenge, uh 5K is awesome. Like tell you a humbling story. One of the times that I ran the 5K, uh I was you know, huffing and puffing, running, thinking I'm doing awesome, but you know, struggling too. And <laughs> this this uh this mom comes by in this double stroller with kids in it and just I was just like, man. That's no, yeah, and it was very humbling, (laughs) but she passed all my friends too, because I was complaining, they're like, oh, she passed us too, she got like 10th in the race, it was awesome. Uh, This morning, we're going to be talking about salt and light, uh, as we continue to go through the the gospel of Matthew. Um, We went through the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, and now we are going through the rest of the teachings of Jesus. So read with me Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Let us pray. Uh, Father, Lord, um, may we consume and digest your word today. And may it bear its fruit. For we desire to be your light. We desire to be the salt that you've created us to be. And may, uh, may we be reminded and commissioned to be on mission for the gospel. To be your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're going to look at this and 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 break this down. And the first thing I want to look at is just the light, the salt and the light. What it is to be the light and what is Jesus saying? What he's saying in there that you're the light is, um, you know, you, you represent the light. We're magnifying the gospel. We're magnifying who Christ is. We're made in his image. But now we're also carrying his message. And this is his chosen plan. Uh, the church is to carry the message of the direction of the invitation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that for a moment and the importance of that. It's why we're here. It's why we come together. It's why we have three services. It's why we have house churches. And there are all sorts of brothers and sisters around the world that are doing the same type of things. And one of the things I want to look at in being the light and being the salt is because what Jesus is talking about is His church, His bride. As believers, and I would and I would say this this morning: be careful how you speak. Be careful how you see the bride. You might, be like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? I was like, be careful because it's sacred. Be careful. Because it means something to the Lord. I'm not saying that things are right all the time in the church. In fact, I've said this in all three services, and I believe it. If you're alive and present and you're walking with the family of God, you, you see there are some things that we need to be, do, need to be better at and, and do better as we're following Jesus. If we're to represent and be the light, correction is a part of love. It truly is. But it's good to be reminded and just kind of slow down your role, slow down your, your correction and check the heart first. Like who makes up the church? There's two analogies that the Lord gives us to explain his church, his bride and his kids. We call him Abba Father because he is the father. So we are his kids. We're his creation made in his image. And then the church as a whole is the bride of Christ. Those are two pretty amazing analogies that the Lord gives. Because I can't think of two greater intimate relationships other than your spouse and your family, your kids. And if we're not careful what we're doing, is say, I love Jesus, give me Jesus, but I hate his church. In fact, I think some... Or even going as far as like, and I don't believe any of his teachings. And I think then you'd say, then how can you know this Jesus if you don't believe his teachings and you don't believe his commandments? Remember that you are in covenant with the body of Christ. And a covenant is, covenant is not easily broken. And this analogy of, of kids and spouse, you know, I think about the day that my, my wife walked down to me and as I waited for her and everyone was commanded to stand and all the attention was on her. That's all, you know, all I can think, all I remember that day is her walking down, our vows, not word for word, but our vows that we we said them and the kiss at the end. It It was glorious. And you can't say, hey, you know, Ron, I love you. I love hanging out with you. But your wife, I can't stand her. Your kids don't like them at all. I don't, I don't think we would be really good friends at all. See, you can't teach or correct well the things that you don't love and have honor for and cherish for. For as Christians, we can't say I love God and I love Jesus, and I love this, but his church, I just can't stand it. I, the, those two don't go together. And there are times because we love the church that we must speak up and correct and rebuke, just like you would your spouse, just like you would your kids, because you love them. But you know you wouldn't do well in that if you didn't love them. See, people are angry at the church who ignored sin in the camp and said, and this is just a few examples, boys will be boys. Or used imperfections or grace as a license to do wrong. Maybe you grew up in a church that just, as men struggled with lust and sin and and all sorts of just junk, that they just, ah, you know what, that's just how God created them. When they forgot that that in Scripture it says that that a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So for all men and women, like, your sexuality is a gift, but you can actually control it, which, praise be to God for that. But culture said otherwise. Or maybe, um, you know, you're part of a church that just, you know, saw racism or saw greed or saw saw uh, partiality, which we see in the book of James, where the rich get the good seat and the poor get the low seat. We ignore them. Or the leaders. We really want the leaders, but we don't want the non-leaders, right? And those, those are all sins and those are wrong. But what happens if our heart, if we if it's not held before the Lord in those hurts and those pains, that that church hurt then what happens is we, we start to ignore other teachings of God, right? In fact, we see a movement, and it's always coming in and out of the church, where people see those certain sins that they don't like or that hurt them, but then how they react to them is also sinful. And then they start ignoring very biblical things that my children who are in elementary school could read throughout the Bible, which they can read now, and they could go, well, obviously the Bible says this. Like, it, you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's. You don't even need a high school degree to know these things are true. It's so blatant. It's crazy what unforgiveness or hardened heart can do. So John 13 35 reminds us, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So people know you're bent. They know you're hurt. One of the things that Emmaus, this church does, ministry, is dealing with church hurt. In fact, I'd say we have a high percentage of people that come with church hurt, And, um, and we get that. And first of all, we want to be a blessing to them and not add to that hurt. We do our best to do that. But then another thing is we don't want them to live in this delusional environment that the church is always going to be perfect and, and, and the church isn't going to need your grace or, or they're there to make idols of this place or anything like that. We want to take them through the sacredness of what, what the church is. So in, in your just thinking and in, in, in going through your own walk with the Lord this morning, you know, people know you're bent, they know your pain, but do they know your love for the body of Christ? And when they know you're hurt and they know your pain, is it building up? Right? Is there any fruit in all that complaining and all that hurt? Can you imagine the church as your spouse, your kids, your friends? It's so easy to see it as an institution or a company, a group of leaders that sit up in a room and make all these decisions rather than the hands and feet of Jesus, the people that you love. And when you love the church, you'll correct her, but you'll do it differently. Ask yourself this morning, as the light of the invitation of Jesus, what are you giving an invitation to? To Jesus? To his gospel? Or to your bent? Can you be the light and hate the church? One of the things we want to look at, the second part is, as Jesus calls us, the salt and the light. How do we lose or hide our light, and how do we lose our saltiness? This this understanding of salt. See, salt in its true form will not lose its saltiness. The salt that we would have at our table doesn't become less salty because we have it in its purest form. But in the times of Jesus, that's not what they had. They had salt that was mixed in with all these other impurities, and if it got wet, if it got damp, if it got other substances in it, W- w- mixed in with those impurities, it would become useless. So this, when Jesus gave this analogy, gave this teaching, they're like, "Oh yeah, that happens all the time," and they constantly had to throw and get rid of their their version of salt that they also had to have. So this so morning, I want to look at a couple lists of some of those things that can that make us lose our saltiness, and when you don't, you say, "I love I love God," right? It's a very midwestern thing to say, "I love God." But I don't love his church. I don't believe in his word. And nobody needs the gospel. Right? Those, are, those are the lies. Right? How do we get there? Well, and I'm not going to give the exhaustive list. These are just some of the main common things that I see as a pastor. And one of the first ones is the word of God. As you study the word of God, remember, this is God's written word. And it's going to say things in, in, in that are supposed to rub you the wrong way. It's supposed to make you a whoa, and the reason why is because you're not God. You're not reading this novel, this, this thing just about what you want it to say. It's God revealing himself to you. So there better be some like, wow, like I don't, I'm not sure if I get this. At Emmaus, in our leadership, we believe that the word of God, the Bible, is the, the primary author is God. And I would challenge you, if you don't see, I'm not here to ridicule you, I'm not to make fun of you. If you, if you question that, let's talk sometime. Right? I'm not going to make fun of you or belittle you. It's an honest question that all believers should have as their faith grows and as they have their own faith, not their parents' faith, or their church family's faith. They're really walking with Jesus himself. You're going to come to the time, did God really write this? And I believe there's more than enough proof to say, yeah, he did. And when you start seeing the Word of God where the primary author isn't the Lord, then it's pretty useless. And you're just going to pick and choose what you want. You know, whatever, whatever would represent the God that only the God that you'd want to follow or actually than the actual God, that's how you would, you would read it. The second thing can be the, the, the pillars. You hear this talked about often in this church is the pillars of faith. Now these are things that come from the Word of God, but sometimes the pillars can be broken down before you start breaking down the Word. Sometimes it's the Word, and then you break down the pillars. I'm not going to name all of them because there's just not enough time, but just a few today. One of the pillars that we believe from Scripture, but all th- all through, also because of history and experience, God is good. No matter what I go through, God is good. He doesn't stop being good in the Old Testament. When someone dies of cancer, God doesn't stop being good. When someone is hurting and abandoned from all I can see, maybe even most of their life, God didn't stop being good. It's a pillar that we need to hold on to because from your perspective, he's going to say, God, you're not very good. But he is. Another pillar is that he is just. You look at the things in this world, maybe you've been wrong. People have talked bad about you. You've been hurt. If someone has not been faithful in a relationship, like, God, how are you just? Because they should get the punishment. And we know God is just. No one gets away with anything. God sees all. And in time, everyone gets what they deserve, which is why the gospel is so good. He has a plan, and he has a design. That's just just three pillars And there's many others. One of the things that we will look at in our leadership is what did the apostles teach? What did the early church, what did they believe about Jesus? And the things that we hold to and we hold to tightly are those things that have not changed for 2,000 years. And when we go away from those things and someone just flippantly says, oh, well, you know, the the, the early church didn't really know God like what we know of him today, or we are more enlightened and we're more intelligent and we're more like. Can be, that, that mentality can be so messed up and wrong. And it can lead you to this in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21, which says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. It's it's when you just go around thinking that you know on your own what's right. And what's good you call bad, and what's bad is you call good. And I don't believe we live in a time that it's just worse, <laughs> right? Is you read the Bible during the Roman time, <laughs> right? there's a lot of bad. But when the church starts thinking like the world is when we got to wake up. So, whoa, and there's been times the church has done that, Right? hundred years ago, there was a percentage of the church that believed slavery was okay. And they completely looked past clearly what Scripture would say about those things. And they looked loopholes. And they started denying pillars of truth. Like a pillar of truth from the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we all are made in His image. And at the church, there's no longer Greek, Jew, male, or female, slave, or free. We're all under the banner of Christ. Right, so so they had to deny those things until at some point those in the church stood up and said, "No more, this is not the gospel." Another thing, and a third thing that we have to, that we have to watch out for in this um, this thing that will keep us from recalling is what we would coin here at this church, Jesus plus something else. And if you grew up in the church, you'll you'll probably struggle with some religion. And our religion will always, rather than, rather than God showing up, rather than God being the only thing that can change somebody. You can't talk someone into something They can't be uh, better and pure more because of your standards. right? So you give them, well, Jesus plus this thing. Jesus plus this leader. Jesus plus this other book. Jesus plus this thing. And our identity becomes, well, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Methodist. I'm a new ager. I'm progressive. Like the list just goes on and on and on. And there's a danger in that. Our identity is in those things. And we're not careful. There's many Jesus plus something. In Galatians, the Bible talks about it. Galatians 1 verse 6 ending in verse 8. It says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if it were an angel from heaven that should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you had accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So you've got to be careful in that too when when You know, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. I love Jesus, but I don't believe in the things he said about himself. I love Jesus. I love this God thing. He's all loving. He's all good. But all the pillars about him, eh, not so much. Or then the other way, well, we'll just add to the gospel because we don't believe in the gospel. I thoroughly and truly believe that the gospel is supernatural. And when someone has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they receive the Holy Spirit, it's a game changer, and it changes everything. There are some other things, I'm going to name three of them, that in your walk will, will, will lead you to not believe in the Word of God, not loving the church, and not believing that Jesus is the answer. And the first one is walking in sin. Oh no, we're at church and they're talking about sin. Not, not, not to make you feel bad, not to beat you down, not to shame you but as a rescue. We all, the church should always be talking about sin. It's, it's not our ma- major focus. But we have to talk about it. The major focus is the redemption. We talk about the sin because there's a redemption from it. There's a rescue from it. And the reason why this is coined, walking in sin, is because uh, there's a teaching from the apostles that knows, man, you're not going to be perfect. You're still going to mess up. You're still going to stumble. You might have the thorn in your side. The list goes on and on. But when you're walking in sin... You're not going to be walking in Jesus. The walking in sin says, "Yeah, I'm going to find the loophole." God didn't really mean I couldn't just sleep with whoever I wanted to. God didn't say that I uh, that I had to be honest. God didn't say that I couldn't uh, murder. God didn't like God didn't say that, that I couldn't put money first. Right? You just make a list of those things, and I'm just going to keep walking in that. Romans six one says, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase?" And if you grew up in a church that had racism, that had sexism, that said boys will be boys, there's a lot of church there because that's what they were doing right there. And they were ignoring ignoring Romans 6.1. And they were encouraging people to walk in sin or pride or whatever it would be. And the church should always have the message like, man, sin is serious. Don't walk in it. Not here to shame you, but there is a rescue. The second thing is the heart. You walk in sin, your heart is going to be hardened, or it's just going to be just corrupt. And the beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And pretty soon you just don't see God. Proverbs 21, 2. All a man's ways seems right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. So without Jesus, man, everything seems right to me. That's, you know, I just pick and choose what I want to. I think one of the like crazy things with COVID, um, you know, one of the symptoms is you couldn't you couldn't taste and you couldn't couldn't smell. Anybody else have those things? If you had if you had COVID or you couldn't, super weird, right? Especially if you like food. I love food, right? And for like it's for me, it's been since January. It's it's slowly coming back, right? And what's crazy? Last week, uh, went to a restaurant and I had some pumpkin curry, and I came back and I told Pastor. Honestly, this is the best pumpkin curry I've ever had. And he said, Ron, maybe so, but also maybe it's because you're getting your taste back. <laughs> right? Six months without taste. I'm just like, like, oh, is food supposed to be tasteless? I think I'm eating chicken, but I'm not sure. And now it's coming alive. I'm like, whoa, this is flavor. Like I had some peach yogurt yesterday. I kid you not, I thought it was manna from heaven. I'm sitting there going just, man, this is, this is the best no, um, this is how it should be. When our hearts are hardened, we forget how good the gospel is. We forget how beautiful church is and how thankful we are for the word and correction of God. The third thing is faith and obedience. You are called by God to live by faith and obedience. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Like He rewards it. Like there's, there's, oh, there's beauty in it. But if I'm not careful, especially as a Westerner in the United States, which I thank God for, there's so many blessings. But in those blessings, there's some temptation to not live by faith. Why? Because, man, we can come up with a vaccine real quick. I'm not telling you to take the vaccine or to take the vaccine. Not, that's not what I'm, but we can just, there, there's a lot of things that we can do. Praise be to God, but we don't want to be like the tower of Babel in the old Testament where it's like, what, what's their anthem? Look what we can do. There's nothing we can't accomplish. It's like a spirit of the antichrist. We've got to be careful. So in our safeness, like there's so many big homes in America, right? We have, we have I've talked about this before. We have these things called a garage in most homes, that we don't park our cars in because we have too much stuff, and then there's this need in the foster system, and church is like, yeah, I just don't know if there's enough room. Like, a huge biblical mandate is the orphans and the widows, right? Fatherless homes. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm pretty busy. There's so many kids without, and not 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 just not just the foster system. People are like me on single moms are like, I need someone to hang out with my kids. I need some help. Right? The church can sometimes struggle with greed. It's not that there's not enough. It's that that we don't give enough. From individuals, then to the corporate church, right? Like, I thank God for good stewardship that would give me a good retirement. But if having a good retirement means I'm not going to live by faith, then blow it up. Faith and obedience. Man, if we don't walk by it, walking by the Holy Spirit. God tells you to sell something. Tells you to adopt somebody. To foster somebody. To be a friend to the neighbor that is an absolute mess. But you know that they need Jesus and he can clean up their mess. And they could could harm you. They could steal from you, but by faith and obedience, I'm going to go be in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this person. I want to look in Mark 4, 1 through 20. Jesus does a better job than I ever can of explaining uh, how this comes about where the believer doesn't believe. You can find this in the other Gospels as well, but we're going to look at it in Mark, Mark 4, 1 through 20. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Verse 8. So other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And this is the fulfilled scripture from the Old Testament. Verse 13. Uh, Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes takes away the word that was sown in them. Verse 16. Others, like the seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once uh, receive it with joy. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still, others like seed uh, sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. I want to break this down so we get it. Number one, and this are the people that you you, know, you preach to through through various forms and vessels, and you, you give them the gospel, and they're like, "So what?" And Jesus is kind of showing us some spiritual warfare there. What's happening? Satan just kind of takes it just, and just goes, right? You're like, oh man, this person needs Jesus, and I'm and I'm giving them the message, and like, nope, I don't even want it, right? I do believe they have a choice to accept or deny, but we as believers. That's why I believe in spiritual warfare, like praying that people would open their eyes and see Jesus. Um, We have to understand that there's this um, demonic power that's happening. right? The second thing, those that receive the gospel and receive it with joy... And then it doesn't take long that someone says, well, what about this pillar? What about that pillar? What about the word of God? How can you say your God is so loving and and do this? Or or what about marriage? What about, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And they go, yeah, I just can't follow that that Jesus. And why? Because they have no roots. Then there's that third where they, they, they testify who Jesus is and they even believe all the things, but they have no fruit. They don't have the fruit of the gospel. They don't have the love for the church. They don't care about winning souls. They don't care about doing the work of the gospel. They don't care about orphans and widows. And and what does it say? Because weeds come in and choke out the fruit. Because they care more about the tempting things in this world, right? Americans, like so many are found right in that, that third one, right? It's like we believe in the gospel, but we're not fruitful for the gospel. But then there's the fourth one. They hear it, and they produce a crop because they have good soil, and the roots are deep. Back in the 90s, they had a thing called the biodome experiment. And in this biodome, they wanted to see if what they could do if all the elements needed for life was perfect. And they had these different animals, and they had plants, and they had perfect soil, and they had the perfect amount of sunlight. Every day was a sunny day. And they had the perfect amount of water. The list goes on and on. And everything was great, except for at some point the trees that only came to a certain height, and then they would topple over. And the scientists were looking at, it like, what's going on? Like everything is—they should be flourishing. And they found that in the biodome, there was one thing that was missing, one element that was missing, and it was wind. There was no wind. There was no turbulence. There was no storms. So there was no reason for the trees to center in for a deep root system. Right? Are you are you, are you, are you catching me on this? Is so the Bible says doesn't say life will be perfect when you accept Jesus Christ. Doesn't th- says things will just always go your way. But it does say he will never leave you, and never forsake you. And then and then also through the New Testament teaching says all oh, these bad things that you're going through actually see the good in them because it's building you up. We say God, I don't want any wind, I don't want a storm. I don't want to go through this pain. And sometimes we think that God has not answered our prayer when he actually has. He says, no, there's deep, there's roots, this wind's got to come. I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you. But this is happening, this persecution or this doubt or this pain or this rejection is because, man, you got to know that I'm real. And if I don't allow these things to happen, if I don't push for these things to happen, then you're going to leave my blessing. You're going to leave my gospel. Don't avoid the things that don't need faith. Don't avoid the things that don't need a deep root system. And the last thing I want to close on real quickly is just the question, okay, so if you're the salt, which you are, If you're the light, which you are, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is the Son of God and is the only way to the Father, and he died on a cross for your sins, he's the only way that you could be forgiven and made right to the Lord. And he was resurrected on the third day. You believe that he was resurrected on the third day, and he is coming back for his bride. You, my friend, are a believer in Jesus Christ. And may that root system go deep. And may you know and believe and trust that God has a calling on your life. You're the salt and the earth, and don't you forget it. And you have a mission to love God and to love people every day in that order. Love God first. Your lens for all people is through loving God first. If you decide to love people before you love God, you will not love people, and you definitely will not honor and love God. If you love God, you will have a heart for people. It's called an overflow of the Holy Spirit. Number two, spread the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Man, we will tell people about our bad day. We'll tell people about our good day. We will take pictures of everything we eat. Right? People got to see this food. I love it because I'm like, man, I'm going to go there. I love food. Taste buds are back. This is great. Right? So how much more would we tell, if it's the good news, how much more would we tell people, man, I don't care what people think, but Jesus is the answer. I don't care what people think, but Jesus can forgive. I don't care what people think, but once you've met this Jesus, you'll never, ever, ever be the same. Third thing, be the gospel. Do good. You can see in Acts, a lot of the things that the gospel started to do in the community, they forgave. They broke bread together. They took care of each other's needs, and they loved on people around them. They are like, man, we'll, we'll just, like, we'll, we'll the babies, the Roman was, like, they were throwing babies away. It was the church that said, we'll take those babies. It was the church that started meeting the needs that the government could not. They stopped complaining so much about the government and started being the gospel. Like, do good. Don't. And, and, and In fact, the apostle Paul would say, don't ever stop. Don't ever be tired of doing good. May it be because of the gospel, right? Maybe that be your agenda. It's because of Jesus I'm doing this. But do some good. Buy someone's meal. Forgive someone. Hang out with someone that nobody else will. The list goes on and on. And then the last one is the Great Commission. It's found in the gospel of Matthew. That we are to baptize. It's the mission of the church. To baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them the ways of Jesus. And this is the messy but good part where all the fruit is found. And what we do sometimes with the Great Commission, and we love to see people get baptized, but teaching the ways of Jesus is hard because sometimes people are on that second part of the seed parable. Sometimes they're in the third part. We love it when they're in the fourth part. But it takes two true discipleship. I'm going to walk them through this other stuff And show them that the roots can grow deep. A couple questions as we close. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? I'm not talking about a stage. I'm not talking about a building. The church is made up of the message of God and the people of God. Do you love that? Wherever the message is told, wherever wherever the worship abounds, right, wherever the people of God are, that is the church. Right? I've had people come up and like, man, we just need to tear down the church, and like, we're not. I literally had someone tell me we're not supposed to have a stage. Like churches aren't supposed to have stage. They like tried to find a biblical reason why churches shouldn't have a stage or a microphone. I'm like, dude, you're not gonna find where the Bible says you shouldn't have a stage, or shouldn't have a stage. Or I'm like, that's not the point. That's not. If you think that's the church, you, I mean, go do something else that doesn't have those things, but be the church. Like, do you love the church? Like, there's different denominations, and some might even think they might even teach some secondary issues that are different, right? But you can agree on the primary issues. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, do you love the body of Christ? And in that, have you have you lost your first love? Right, you can't you can't. Your first love is Jesus Christ, and you won't love the church if you don't love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you will love His church. And the last one, are you on are you on mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? To be the gospel. To do good. To forgive people. To be weird. Right? You want to be persecuted? Be on mission. I've had more Christians persecute me because I love the church. I'm like, pastor, there's all these churches we should just do away with. They're heretics. I'm like, by definition, they're not heretics. I might not agree with their teachings. I believe it's immature, but by definition, they're not heretics, so I can't let them go because my God is God and not you. I've had more Christians persecute me and Pastor Clint because we actually forgive people, right? Like the list, and you'll probably find yourself on that too, be on mission, Right, be on mission because God is so good. As we close, man, it's love, love you guys, and I love this service. Um, we have this service started because of because of COVID. Wanted to spread people out, and you know when it's the school season, we really do need a third service just for just for more space and stuff. And the summertime, we we talked about like doing away with this service. Um, and first of all, we're like, man, what people are important <laughs> right so the people that attend this service are important to us and the sacredness is about the gospel and about the people not about the show and this is like become not that I have a favorite but this is my favorite because it's just it's just real right it's just like this is like this isn't about how many people are there it's like you can just like kind of let your hair down and it's so refreshing and so thank you for being here. If you guys can stand, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship the living Savior, right, who has all the answers to all of our questions, all the healing for our pain, all the purpose for our passion. He has everything, and he's the living God. you got to live by faith in that. You've got to test out the waters and run to him, but he answers. Father, Lord, God, we love you, and we praise you. And we thank you for the sacred thing that is called the church, the bride, the children. That as Christ's followers, we have a family that cannot be shaken, that cannot be lost. May we always love the bride. Does she need rebuke and correction? Sometimes, yes, God. You've made that clear. But we can't correct if we don't love and have honor for it. Father, may you always be our first love. Why we get up in the morning, while we go to bed at night, it's just all about you. Holy Spirit, you are active in speaking to your people right now. And God, would we just continue to say yes to be on mission to the gospel, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to walking in biblical truth and goodness, to all of our days to know and taste and see that you are good. Father, we love you. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.